Hi guys, welcome back to the Bold Beautiful Borderline podcast. It is Sarah and Lori, and today we have an episode that is a request from a couple of our Patreon members. So before we get started, we have one person who is new to our Patreon community that we want to thank. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on Patreon. We are so excited to have you and your love and support means the world to us. We're actually only, what is it, Lori, $5 away from our first goal on Patreon? Yeah, $5. And it was like a lofty goal. So I'm just like, oh my God, I can't believe we're so close. I know. So that's super cool. It's really, um, it's really amazing to see the community that we're growing there. And ultimately it just really helps us create content and continue to do what, what we're doing. So thank you, Sarah. And thank you everyone else. Um, but so the quote that I have that we're recording on today is from a Patreon member and they said, I am having an extremely hard time explaining to my family members how hard BPD is to live with on a daily basis. I would love an episode on how to explain how it feels on the inside to be us. They all think I'm using BPD as an excuse for my emotions, but my emotions are so elevated because I have BPD. I feel like my family does not want to understand me and it hurts so bad. So that's our episode today, guys. That's so hard because I know that like a lot of people have said that it's an excuse for me as well. And like Sarah, I'm sure yourself too. And a lot of our listeners feel that way or have people feel that way about them. Um, first of all, like I do hope that this podcast helps those people right to like kind of understand what's going on in our head. And the fact that like, it's not that we're in control of these things. So like, it's, it's a hard one because with therapy, you can become more in control of your reactions to your emotions and your behaviors stemming from your emotions. But I don't find like, I don't think that it's that our emotions go away necessarily. Right. You're just like better at reacting to them. Does that kind of resonate with you, Sarah? Yeah. That's that whole recovery versus remission. Yeah, true. I know. just that episode comes out tomorrow. I think, um, I love this quote from Marshall Linehan and I've heard this a hundred thousand times. I don't know, Sarah, if this is one that's familiar to you, but, um, for those of you who don't know, although you probably do by now, if you've listened to this podcast, Marshall Linehan's the person who created, uh, dialectical behavior therapy. And after she created the treatment program, she actually, um, came out with having the disorder herself. So one of her really common quotes is borderline individuals, are the psychological equivalent of third degree burn patients. They simply have, so to speak, no emotional skin. Even the slightest touch or movement can cause immense, immense suffering. So I, I like, there's things I don't love about that, that quote, um, because I think that we do have very like thick skin in the sense of like, we've had to deal with a lot in our lives and it is really difficult to live with. Um, But just that concept of like, there is no small thing. So every emotion you're feeling is times a hundred compared to what everybody else is feeling. And um, that is one of the most exhausting things I've, I can even imagine in my life. Yeah. Except for it's just so normal. I think that for me is where it's really hard to answer this kind of question or this topic is like, how do you explain what it's like to family members when it's the only thing you've known? 
Like the only reason that I know that my emotional response is different is that my response cannot mirror that of most of my peers and hasn't been able to for my entire life. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think that one of the ways that I've described it in the past is like the third degree bird thing, obviously. And then also I say like, okay, so imagine the worst possible feeling that you've ever had, like the most intense anger, the most intense sadness, grief, excitement, any of these feelings. Now imagine that feeling that happened when like, I don't know, the fear of getting into a car accident or something like that. Imagine that feeling happening when somebody doesn't text you back. And that's like the level of intensity that that emotion has. So like, instead of having the level of emotional intensity that is like on the same scale as quote, like normal people who would experience this, somebody not texting them back, we're feeling like what they would feel if somebody died or something like that. Um, and we're feeling that all the time. I think that's one of the only ways to explain it really. Yeah. I always go back to, um, childhood as a way of like kind of contextualizing it. I don't know, Lori, if you have any examples like this, but my mom was a English teacher for 20 something years. I don't know how many, 25 maybe. And she's now a principal, but when you grow up with a parent who's a teacher who has a strong like level of investment in the public school system they're generally in your business about your education so like i wasn't allowed to go outside in the summer until we did our summer workbook math english history all of it as a kid with an impulse disorder like that's kind of the way i think about bpd right is it's basically like disordered impulse like you cannot control your impulses and a strong desire to like be liked and validated by my peers. School was really hard, even though I was average intelligence and all of these things. I don't know if you had this experience, but every um, report card season, the report card would get printed off and I'd have to take it home to my mom and it would say, um, you know, ABAB, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Sarah has a really hard time not talking in class. And literally me. <laughs> That statement still gives me like a physical nausea response because I would take it home and I would get grounded because my mom would be really frustrated because she knows what it's like to have a kid like me in class. And then she would email my teachers and ask them to reassign me like seating arrangement. And then my teachers would reassign me and I would still not be able to control how much I would talk in class or who I would talk to. It didn't fucking matter if you put me in the hall or with someone I didn't like, I was still going to talk because I couldn't control it. And I was trying to get the need of validation and love met. Right. And so then like my mom would arrange all of these extra meetings with teachers and I would cry. And it always came back to Sarah, you just have to stop talking in class. At one point, Sherry like grounded me and just took all my books away. Cause she was like, I don't know what else to do with you anymore. And like, it seems so weird now, but it's still so profoundly painful that I, I got in trouble four times a year or whatever consistently 
And it always came back to the same thing, Sarah, you have to stop talking in class. And I like that. My guttural instinct is to be like, I cannot stop. I have no skills for how to stop. Isn't it kind of funny that like now our entire like life is revolving around the fact that we're talking all the time to each other and people want to listen. Um, was your mom the principal at your elementary school or your school? No, my mom was a high school English teacher oh, at okay. the time. <laughs> Side note, yesterday, Andrew, <laughs> Andrew was like, Sarah, you can't get your own Diet Coke if you wanted to. You are always going to ask me to get a Diet Coke for you. And it's like, my mom will make four different meals if four different people want four different things. I don't know what to tell you. Oh, that is a very different reality than what I grew up in. It was, if you don't eat it, starve. I don't care. I can't go to my parents' house without Sherry being like, can I make you shrimp and rice? Can I make you sweet potatoes? Do you want a breakfast burrito? Do you want, like, it's just her way of compulsively trying to show love, which anyways, she was not a principal at my school, but that, that is the way that I can explain it to family members of like, for y'all, it seems so easy. Just stop for us. It's like, I physically and biologically cannot stop. And I feel all of the shame afterwards for hours and days on end that I can't stop when it's so easy for you to just stop. Yeah. And I, I find that that's one of the things that like comes up with emotions too, right? Like not just the impulsivity is like, Hey bud, if I could not feel like this, I sure as fuck would. (laughs) Right. Like this is not my preferred way of feeling. And like, it's, it's, it's virtually impossible for somebody who has not, does not have such strong emotions to understand that. Like, I don't know if you ever would. And I, and I remember that's one of the reasons that I loved DBT group so much was because people, my whole life would be like, Oh, I know how you feel. Oh yeah. I totally get it. And I was like, "Mm, you don't get it at all because everything I'm feeling. And this was before I even knew I had a BPD diagnosis. I just knew that nobody that said that got me. And then I went to DBT and every single person in the room knew exactly what I was going through. And they were like, yeah, I get you. And I was like, you do get me. (laughs) Right. And like that, I think that's the benefit of super feelers. That's the benefit of like this podcast, people listen to it and hear themselves in it. Um, and I think, again, it comes down to the stigma of like the manipulation thing, because people think we're using our emotions to manipulate situations or sorry, they think we're using our behaviors in quotes to manipulate situations when really it's the emotions and we don't have the ability to not feel that way. And I assure you that like, if I'm lashing out at somebody or I'm um, hysterically crying or I'm like super like, like all over the place, I don't want to feel like that (laughs) in the, right. There's very few times where I'm like, thank God for my super strong emotions. Um, uh, And and it's not manipulation. It's literally, if I could manipulate it, I would, because I would manipulate it to be easier for myself. Yeah. And I think this is why we, as a group of people have such a high um, rate of co-occurring substance use issues, um, compulsive sex, compulsive spending, um, eating disorders, eating disorders. All of them are an attempt to control what we've 
cannot biologically control, which is that our brains fire like at a rate that is so profoundly fast and um, often and big that other people cannot and do not experience that. Like biologically, people who are neurotypical, people who don't have borderline personality disorder do not have neurons that are firing as often as we do. And so like we can quote unquote escape momentarily by trying to control through food or trying to black out by alcohol or trying to black out by orgasm, like all of those things for a moment, quiet the emotions. Yeah. And the alternative to those things is dissociation, which then we're told is a symptom. And Um, it's like, yeah, well, what do you want me to do? Like, you don't want me to have these emotions and you don't want me to dissociate. Okay. Well, uh, there's no in between for me here other than obviously learning skills through therapy and then being able to control the the reactions and the behaviors that stem from the emotions. Right. Which is very hard, but can we go back? I don't historically experience dissociation. I've been feeling it like, you know, like, well, I will say I don't histor. I haven't historically experienced dissociation in a longer than a minute or so. Right. And it's so, okay, Lori, I was driving yesterday. Andrew's in the passenger seat and I've been wanting him to go to the gym with me and he's been wanting to work out at home, blah, 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 yada, yada. And it's kind of become this thing because there's some triggers around this related to my marriage. Anyways, we were driving to the gym and we're like three blocks away, four blocks away. And he goes, God, this is a long way to drive to the gym. And I just was like completely invalidated. I turned and I was like, well, if you don't want to be here, then I'll, I'll turn around and take you home. The next thing I know, I'm in the parking lot of the gym rolling backwards. And Andrew kind of like yelled at me. (laughs) And I literally was like, like, like I was like, I, I have no clue what the fuck just happened. Yeah. Like I remember like seeing droplets of water on my windshield and like going forward and the rest is like blurry. And I don't, I woke up, woke up quote unquote, right? Like this is what it felt like with Nova on my lap parked in the gym parking lot. And I apparently thought I was parked, but in my van, because it's so heavy, unless you have the parking brake on, it won't stand still. And I woke up to me just like realizing that my van was moving backwards and it wasn't supposed to be an Andrew, like kind of yelling at me to wake up. I've done the exact same thing. I like, this was, this was years ago, but I like pulled into a parking spot and then I guess I was like out of it. And then I saw the car next to me, like moving. And I was like, oh, that's super weird. And then I realized it was me that was moving and they were stationary. And it was like, oh my God, what's happening? And like, so trippy. But yeah, I mean, there are moments of my life that I literally lose. And like, it happens a lot less now because I'm less activated. But in the past, I would lose hours. Like, yeah, I've never experienced anything like that. And I think it was literally because like, Like I'm at a place now where I'm like, if I feel like you don't want me, I'm not going to yell at you and fight you on this. And I think my brain was like, okay, I'll leave then. (laughs) 
Yeah, totally. They're like, I, I'm just, I'm going to clock out early. Is that cool? Did Andrew say like what happened in that moment? Um, he was really afraid and he kind of like tapped me on the face, you know, like that. Um, and I was like, kind of like moving my head and like going in and out a bit. Like I remember feeling like, you know, when you're like, it's so late at night and you want to read the rest of that article, but you can't possibly, and you like fall asleep on your phone. It was like that. And then when we jolted backwards and Nova jumped, I was back. I was, I was, I was home <laughs> and I was just like, oh my God, I think I just dissociated and I have never experienced it like that before. That's crazy. It's such a weird feeling. I actually have been talking to somebody who has um, like a serious amount of dissociation in their, in their life. And um, I'm like really trying to get her on to talk about it because she listened to our episode about dissociation and was like, I totally, she totally resonated with what I had said about like in the positive moments too. And then, but she had like a whole bunch of other things. I literally was, Aaron was driving and I was like, I think somebody just sent me a book. (laughs) Anyway, we've been chatting back and forth and it was, it was awesome. And she's got so much to say. So I really hope that we can have that perspective on because our, just our episode on dissociation was like, mediocre because like neither of us like have that as like a main symptom it's not an issue really yeah it happens for me but and more definitely more of an issue for you but I still don't think it's like dangerously impacting our lives so no I almost get catatonic honestly like I literally can't move for like an hour it's crazy um but anyways we can talk about that in an associated episode um We were saying that's why we leave, right? We were t- the controlling right. nature. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I was like, wow, where'd we come up? Where did that come from? <laughs> um, I think it's, it's something where people just won't ever understand fully. And we have to come to the realization that that's the case. Like they're never going to know how we feel. And that it's almost like, you need to be able to have an open dialogue with the person. Obviously this is a two way street. So like you can't force people to want to have an open dialogue about this, but like I think about Aaron who for sure does not experience emotions at the intense level that I do. Um, actually the other day, uh, so my grandma passed away like not that long ago and I was like really upset. And Aaron was like, not really upset. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, Aaron, like, why aren't you sad? And he's like, I- I'm sad. And I was like, you're not like, why aren't you sad enough? And he's like, I mean, He's like, Lori, all emotions are valid. And I was like, fuck you. Not like that. I was like, <laughs> only my emotions are valid. Um, but uh, like, he knows that he will never understand how I feel in terms of like the intensity of it. But he'll say like, oh, like, yeah, that sounds like a really strong emotion for you. And that's enough. Right. Um, and I think sometimes like that's all we can ask for. Um, because honestly, like I wouldn't really wish this on others either for the most part. Absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, there are days where like, you know, I, I don't hate how I feel things, but the the only thing I would like for someone, I guess I would be okay with people taking a walk in the shoes. Right. But like overall Mm -hmm. in your life, no, I wouldn't wish it on you. But the most beautiful part about having BPD is we can love in a way that is so profound Like the ability to show up. Yeah. And 
And so like that part, I would love to give to others and like the passion and the excitement and all that stuff. Um, but the negatives, I mean, I wouldn't want to, but then also, I mean, we don't know how they feel either. So it's not always about us, even though sometimes it, it feels like it should be, but I like, I mean, realistically, I don't know what it's like to have a normal reaction or a normal emotional response to something. Well, and that I think is the part of like, it's so triggering for family and friends is they're like, I need a moment for it to be about me because your emotions are so big. They take over everything. And I have really, really been trying to practice mindfulness because this was an issue in my marriage. Tori would be like, Sarah, I can't have an emotion because yours are so big. If I try to tell you something, you turn it back on what is going on. That's wrong for you. Um, and part of that speaks to the lack of emotional security that was established in that relationship for sure. But I mean, like Aaron has said to me before, like, you have to remember that I have bad days too. And I'm like, right. Yeah. Sorry. It's not just because I'm going to feel it extra that like, it's not about you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I've been really trying to practice mindfulness around that with Andrew. Um, and it's been really beautiful to be, to, to be willing to be like, I see him experiencing some sort of emotional response. Let me just sit and observe. But I will say, um, Lori, you've never done a hallucinogenic. Um, but if there's anyone here that's ever taken like Molly or a good amount of mushrooms or anything, or like maybe just been to a rave, but imagine like the gnarliest part of the trip where you're seeing all of the like lights and things are you know, like you're looking at a wine bottle and it looks like the bubbles, like after you just open the wine bottle, the bubbles are like bubbling out of it onto you. And everything is like not real the way that you know it to be real. That to me is like a really beautiful depiction of what my emotions feel like. Like they're, they're like, if you were to walk through a fun size mirror situation, <laughs> like Everything is big and abnormal and colorful. And when it's dark, it's really dark. And when it's scary, it's really scary. And when it's beautiful, it's really beautiful. Like imagine like fireworks when you're having the best trip of your life. That's kind of what BPD is like. Hopefully there's some old hippies listening. <laughs> so I, that, I like that description, even though I obviously don't relate, but what's my favorite part about this is that you're like, obviously, Lori, you've never done any of these drugs and we've never had that conversation. You just know that I'm not the kind of person who would ever do those drugs. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> I'm so predictable. It's like not even funny. Um, it's but- very weird. Actually, your BPD and my P- BPD is so weird because I am not predictable like that. I mean, I can explain to you why I, I don't do those drugs. And it's because I've spent my entire life trying to be in control of my thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, and I don't want to be out of control. End of story. Like, it's that simple. Um, but uh, I've seen a lot of people doing a lot of drugs in my life. And, like, I, and I'd heard it described. And, like, yeah, I kind of get what you're saying in the way that, like, I can't actually get it. But it's interesting for sure. Beautiful I think imagery. That's a- yeah, it is beautiful. 
It is beautiful. If, if you're having a beautiful trip, it's beautiful. If you're having a really, really bad, freaky Alice in Wonderland trip, that's the, the everyday part of our life when we want to die. And the reality is that there is one moment in almost every single day of my life, probably 300 days a year on average that I wish I was dead. And I don't say that because I want attention. I don't want any attention. I don't say that because I'm like, want anybody to feel sorry for me. I don't need, I don't think anybody needs to feel sorry for me, but the reality is like when the emotions are so strong, the only way that my brain can contextualize them ending because I've lived this way for 28 years is death. Same. And I mean, it's also the black and white thinking. It's like, we know that the emotions will come and go. But when we're in that spot, we're like, nope, the only way to deal with this is die. End of story. And like, obviously that's not the only way to deal with it. The emotions do come and go, but yeah, I mean, I still feel like that on the reg as well. I think that's about the best way we can sum this up. Yeah. I mean, if anybody's had like a really positive experience having these conversations, like, please do let us know. And maybe we'll have a conversation with you about it. I think like, honestly, just like openness and honest descriptions when you can is the most important. And hopefully the person that you're talking to is like willing to listen. And again, like, it's not just your responsibility to have these conversations. Like it has to be a two-way street. And there are people in our lives who don't want to have that conversation. And we have to decide what to do with that relationship moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's kind of like the anti-vax versus the vax conversation. Like as a pro-vaxxer, I'm not having the, the scientific reasoning conversation about why an anti-vaxxing person should get vaxxed. Like there's no point. There is absolutely no point. So if you're realizing that there's a person in your life who truly will never be able to understand that you have an impulse disorder issue and an emotion regulation disorder issue, then I would not spend your emotional energy trying to force them to get it because it's going to feel so invalidating over and over and over and over again. And this is the most profound thing that I ever learned. You owe no one a relationship. It does not matter if a person birthed you, you don't have to have a relationship with them. And if they are never going to get it and they are extremely invalidating to you, send them a Christmas card and move on. Yeah. I strongly believe in the concept of chosen family. And if your chosen family is us or the super feelers club or your friend from work or whatever, it doesn't matter if they're blood related to you. If yeah, don't, don't, don't waste your energy on people that won't give you the energy back. Yeah. Boundaries. The worst. <laughs> and the best. Yeah. Um, also shout out to the person who got a super feelers tattoo, because that is like the most badass thing that I have ever heard of in my entire life. And I have zero tattoos and now I want one. I feel like I shouldn't encourage everybody to go get a tattoo, <laughs> but it's kind of, kind of incredible. So we're very, very thankful and happy that this meant so much to you that you want us permanently scarred onto your body. (laughs) Permanently scarred. You're so dramatic. Um, (laughs) It's like a stamp that doesn't go away or something. Permanent scar. Well, you know, there's a such thing as scarification. That's not what tattoos are, but um, I digress. It, 
it does kind of make me a little salty. She beat me to it. Like what? But good for her. That's amazing. Anyway. Okay. We, we love you guys and we'll see you next time. Hi friends. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the bold, beautiful borderline podcast. Lori and I are so grateful that you're here with us on this journey and we can't wait to dive into more topics in the future with you all about borderline and even have some more fun and exciting guests to join us on the podcast. If you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you would rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. We would also love to see you interact with us on social media and on our Patreon page. The links to that are included in the show notes, so check us out there. We would be incredibly honored to get to know you all as you get to know us and our recovery stories. We love you, and we'll see you next time.